Well, we've been going through our series on uh, stories that Jesus told, a series that uh, we know them as parables. And as Matthew in the first session, this is our third week today, uh, reminded us that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, an earthly story with a spiritual insight. And that's why Jesus told these stories, that we could have insights into the way God works. But I'm going to tell you a little story. When I first became a Christian, what happened to me, I was an atheist, I was walking through a woods, some of you will hear this, so I'll keep it brief, and I had an encounter with God that I didn't expect. Uh, I, it was as if God opened my eyes and I saw, spiritually, his presence and power. And the presence and power was absolutely overwhelming, and in a split second, I thought to myself, there is a God. And I, became, I, I turned from being an atheist to a believer in God in that moment. But I realized in that moment that I knew nothing about God. I knew that he was powerful. I knew that he had made everything. I could see that he was awesome and holy and he was a person because he spoke to me. I heard the voice of God. Whether it was an audible voice or a spiritual voice, it was so difficult to distinguish because it was so clear. But this is what the voice of God said to me in that moment. Julian, abandon yourself to me. Proclaim my name to all people and I'll meet your needs. And in that moment, I knew I had to serve God. God would be my job. And I saw all my hopes and my dreams and my ambitions I saw my mum and my dad and my girlfriend at the time and all my friends and everything. And I knew that whilst I had to not abandon them as in neglect them, they had to be second to the will of God and the purpose of God for which he had created me for and called me for. In fact, that's true of every single one of us. But it was just a surprise to me that day on the 28th of February, 1982, because up to that point, I was an atheist. And I realized I didn't know anything about the nature, the personality, who God was, what he was like, what he didn't like, And in that moment, a crystal clear thought came through my mind, and it was like a stream that was pure and crystal clear, the most clearest thought I'd ever experienced in my life up to that point. And it was a thought that I now know God put there, and it was this, read the Bible. So I went home that night, I found an old Bible that was... uh, from my sister's school days, she was uh, in art college at the time, and I you know, rummaged through her stuff, and I found an old Bible, and that very night, I sat in my room, night after night, night after night, reading my Bible. I hadn't been to church yet, because I didn't know anybody from church. I didn't know how to serve God. I just, I, you know, this was just like new. I had no language to, to explain it. I had no experience to draw from. But I just read the Bible. And as I began to read the Bible, it was like as I read those verses, they were like seeds. Seeds through the form of words that I was reading, God's word. And they were being planted into the soil of my heart. 
And as I began to read the Bible, night after night after night, these seeds began to grow. And they, some things I began to notice over that three-month period, a growing desire to know about God and to know him personally, a growing desire. It began to work itself out in me getting on my knees, leaning on my bed, and, uh, and just saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins, and talking to Jesus that I may know him and understand him. Over the course of time, I find a growing desire just to live God's way and do what he wanted. It wasn't like somebody was with a big stick telling me that I should live this way and do what he wanted. It was a seed that was becoming a growing desire in me. It was planted and it got stronger and bigger and I couldn't resist it. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And then over the course of the time, I just suddenly found I wanted to be fully baptized in water. Because as I was reading about Jesus and the early disciples and the early church, I was reading that when they received the message of Jesus and began to follow him, they got baptized in water. And I, I'd never been to church. I'd never spoken to anybody about baptism. But this growing desire came into me that I wanted to be baptized in water because it's something that God wanted me to do. It was a seed that grew. And all this happened under people's noses for around about a three-month period, and the only person who knew about it was me. I hadn't told a soul yet. But as the seeds began to grow, I began to speak. And um, the first person I told was my mum. And she kind of prompted me because I was in the kitchen one day and she turned around to me saying, hey, Julian, something has happened to me that I'd like to tell you about. I met some people who are Christians and go to a church and they invited me to go to a meeting and this man spoke, his name was Colin Urquhart, and he talked about Jesus and how you could know God and how you could have your sins forgiven and how you could have a place in heaven and how he could change your life and you could discover the reason why you... And she began to tell me all the amazing things and I turned around to her and said, Mum, that's happened to me. It was a different journey but it was the same experience. And then I began to tell my friends and my family and strangers and people apart from my mum who'd had the same encounter. They began to say this, oh, it's just a phase because they knew what I was like. (laughs) Oh, it's just a phase. But it wasn't a phase, and I tell you why it wasn't a phase. It was because although to them it just seemed Where has this come from? For me, it was a long time coming. 
because the seeds were sown the day I had that encounter with God and seeds were sown every single night into my heart, my soul, my life as I read the Bible and these seeds began to permeate me and my whole life became permeated with the presence and the workings of God in me. And why have I shared that story? I shared that story to say this. Because this is typical of how God works in us and through us. And the parable or the story that we're going to look at today, or a few stories actually, illustrate this point. And it's basically a story or a parable that Jesus told to explain to us that we may understand how God works. How God works works. So let's have a look at it. Here is another illustration that Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of the garden plants. It grows into a tree and the birds come and make nests in it. Next slide. The parable of the yeast. Jesus used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. A woman used it in making bread, even though she put only a little yeast in its flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Next slide. The parable of the growing seeds. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seeds on the ground. Night and day, while he sleeps or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. Three stories to illustrate the kingdom of God. Or how God works. The ways of God. So the meaning of these three stories, these three parables are the same. Basically, it's this. God loves to start small. He loves to start small. He can start big. He does start big. He's God. He can do whatever he likes. But typically, he starts small. And over the time, the small ways of God consistently and steadily grow and often unnoticed. Do you remember what we read in the last parable? The farmer, whether he's asleep or awake, God from a seed is growing something and he doesn't understand how it's happening. We don't have to understand it and often the ways of God are at work but we don't notice them and we don't always understand them. But over time... The influence of God's methods transform everything. Now the parables are often called parables of the upside down kingdom. What does that mean? It basically means this, that God operates in a different way to us. He operates in a different manner to the way that we operate here on earth or in this world. Soon we're going to have, sorry about this, but it's very likely soon we're going to have another election. Yeah? 
You do know that, don't you? You know, it's not going to be like a five-year deal wait. It is going to be sooner than that. The, the Conservative Party only have a majority of one right now. It's very difficult for them. So whether it's pre-Brexit or after Brexit, at some point in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have an election, and basically we're going to be voting again for somebody to govern us. And the election wheel and campaign and machinery is going to move into action. And we've all been in it many times and far too often in recent history. But it's basically a big deal. There's a lot of money thrown at it. There's a whole load of campaigns and adverts and posters and social media and debates. And there's a big tour. And there's a whole load of stuff that's going on. It's a big flashy deal to try and win our confidence that the government may rule over us. It's the same if a new product is launched, a film, for example. There's a marketing campaign. There's a media coverage. The celebrities get to go and speak on Graham Norton on a Friday night. There's the premiere where all the cameras are flashing and the fancy dresses and the swish cars and the great suits... And they walk on the red carpet and the VIPs get uh, invited and then there's the reviews and everybody knows. And there's a big build-up to the, the, the next film, whether it's the next Bond film or whatever is going on. And it's a big deal. Um, and there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, in today's world, you know, it is necessary for us to advertise and market and present ourselves well. Otherwise, if we believe in something, let somebody know about it. Nothing wrong with that at all. But God doesn't always do it that way. God's God doesn't need that. We do, but he doesn't. And uh, he works differently. And the way he works is through yeast. Seeds. A yeast is a tiny, powerful influencer. And a seed is a tiny little thing that when it grows and it multiplies and it's harvested and it grows and it multiplies and harvests, it can cover a continent. Think about the Amazon rainforests. It can, it can cover and influence and spread to everything. Think how God works. He was conceived as a single cell in Mary's womb. Can you imagine the almighty God who created heaven and earth? I don't use the reduced in the sense of belittling or being diminished. But for the purposes of understanding, can you imagine this? That God who chose to become a man, well that's awesome enough that he began to take on the, the frame of a human being. And it says all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ in bodily form. Woof! Think of that. But before we saw Jesus Christ, the man, he was, he was a single cell in Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and that holy thing shall be conceived in you and he shall be the son of God and you shall call him Jesus, the savior of the world from a single cell. Whoa! That's worth getting excited about, isn't it? How does God do that? But you see, God came to this earth to do the biggest deal that anybody's ever experienced, save the world and creation. And he decided 
to start his campaign to bring his government in, his influence in, his rulership in, his salvation in, his history changing in through becoming a single cell, a seed within his mother's womb, within Mary's womb. And this is typical, the way that God works. And then he became a baby and born in a stable. No, it wasn't an invite to a premiere showing of the new Bond film with glitzy cameras and a red carpet. It was a stable. It wasn't even second best. And he was born, oh, we call it a major, a manger, and we glamorize it. It was a cow's dish. And he became a carpenter. And when he was born, it was announced to shepherds who were the outcasts of society. And when he grew up, he had no position. He had no title. He never wrote a book. He didn't have a marketing campaign. He chose 12 unknown, unschooled, ordinary individuals to be on his team. And he died a criminal's death next to two thieves. And nobody. And yet today, who has not heard of Jesus? The largest religion in the world, everybody has heard of him, even those who don't follow him, admire him. But this parable, and these parables just don't speak of the spread of Christianity, but they speak of the influence of God's kingdom. The influence of Jesus in the world. Three primary influences that have come to our world that started of tiny seeds that have influenced everything. And the way that God works is he works individually, that's you and me. He works communally, that's us, the church. And he works globally. Three seeds, three ways God works. God works in you and me through yeast. He comes to you and me with a seed. And that seed is typically a message. Listen to what Peter says. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. He comes to each individual with a message. The message of Jesus whether we hear it preached on a Sunday morning, whether we go to our room at night and open up a Bible and read about him, whether it's taught, explained, shared over a cup of coffee, but he comes to us through his word and his spirit with a message. It's a message of his ways. And when it's taught, it's like a seed that goes into our heart and it grows and permeates and transforms and bears fruit and multiplies in us and to others over time. And that's why it's good you're here this morning. Because this is another opportunity for you to have God's yeast, God's seed sown into your life. And you might be hoping to walk out of this room with a problem. And by the time you get home, it's resolved. And that can happen, and I've seen that happen time and time again through the power and the presence of God. But typically, he will put a seed in your heart. And as you allow it to settle in your heart, and you hold on to it, and you believe it, 
and you look after it and you make decisions in the light of it and you pray about it and you ask God to help you grow that seed and ask him to bless that seed. And it's a a seed of his wisdom, it's a seed of his guidance, it's a seed of his reassurance, it's a seed of his grace, It's it's a teaching, it's something in you. As you allow it to grow in the course of time, you find that that seed begins to bear fruit, good things in your life. And just like that flatbread becomes enlarged over time, your life becomes enlarged and influenced through the power of God's rule, his seed in your life. So I want to encourage you to continually expose yourself to his word, his spirit, his voice. It's explosive. Let me tell you a little story some of you might have heard. Uh, Jean, who from the city church in Cardiff, when we were doing mission, he was due to join his parents in France, uh, but he stayed in Wales to do the mission in uh, the uh, mission to Wales, sharing the seed, the word, the message of Jesus uh, to people on the streets when we went out. And when the time came for him to join his uh, parents in France on the holiday, he went to Bristol Airport. As he walked through Bristol Airport with his rucksack, he had materials in his back from the mission, uh, the Bible, and a little six booklet to help you understand Jesus. He walked through the bleepers, and the bleepers went on, and he was yanked into the security office where he was interviewed by a security guard saying, what's in your rucksack? Because we believe you have explosive material in there. Well, he did really, (laughs) because that is the power of the word of God. It is absolutely explosive. Uh, So they looked at his rucksack and took out the look axe. One took the rucksack off to be tested, and the other said, what's this? And he began to share the seed of the message of Jesus. It's a tiny little message. It takes about less than two minutes, and it was this. Well, I've been on the streets today with this, letting people know that God loves you and has got a wonderful plan for your life. And if you were to die tonight, would you be sure of going to heaven? And he said, no. And then he said, well, let me tell you three things the Bible says about heaven and how to get there. We've all done things wrong. And it stops us from going to heaven because God loves us and he's perfect, but we're not. And it separates us. And the results or the wages of the things that we've done wrong, the Bible calls death. Basically, that's separation from God, both now and when we die. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus because he died upon the cross. He took the punishment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means if you ask Jesus to forgive you and invite him to be the Lord of your life, he will forgive you, transform your life, give you a place in heaven, and you can have a relationship with God, which will start today. Would you like to do that? And the security guard said, yes, please. So whilst his bag was being checked by security guard B, security guard A was being led to the Lord. All through the power of a seed. And it took him as long as it took me to explain it to you today. That's the power of the seed. And this is the gospel, which is the seed of God, is the power of God for salvation. So it's good that you're here today, because I want to encourage you to expose yourself to God's seed, God's word, God's voice, God's message, God's spirit, often as you can, because it sows something into you that in the course of time permeates and transforms everything. Secondly, communal. The church is God's community. The church is God's family. 
And there's a local church, there's a global church, and there's a universal church. And the universal church is made up of people who are alive and who have died and now in heaven. We're all part of the same church. And one day we're going to meet up with them all and it's going to be a brilliant party. But right now, God works through local churches and when local churches do their job, the world gets affected. And the local church is a means in which his yeast and seed permeates too. So he permeates you individually and through you. But when we come together, whoa, it goes to another level. Let me give you an example, small things. We started this church nearly 30 years ago with 35 pounds, five young people, Sarah and myself, and a lovely couple who were in their 40s that we thought were ancient. Because I was 29, and Sarah was a little younger. 35 pounds in our front room, that's all. Listen, we didn't have any qualifications. We didn't have a denominational backing behind us. We just were obedient to God and did it. We just turned up and started praying and worshipping and sharing our faith and serving our community. When we went to serve the local schools, they thought we were a team from the church. They didn't realise that we were the church. We were small, powerless, insignificant. And yet, 30 years later, tens of thousands of people in our city have been influenced and served and helped and encountered something of God through that little seed. We have twice won the award for the most organization in the city for making the greatest contribution to community regeneration. That means community change, twice. When we started our projects, we had the highest car crime rate in Europe. When we started our projects, quickly the crime rate diminished by 25%. We had the highest teenage pregnancy rate in Western Europe. So we started a program called Soulmates. Do you remember this? And we would go into schools. In fact, your wife was a part of it, wasn't she, Dave? And went into schools and would teach kids on relationships, sexual education. And then we got a report that, the, that Swansea had had the second highest reduction in teenage pregnancy in the UK. And our project was a major contributory factor to that statistics coming down. Then we started the gap And 2,000 young people went through the GAP program. And at the time we started this GAP program, there was no alternative curriculum for children who didn't do school well. So they would turn up to school, and because they were just not academic and couldn't fit into the particular, which is basically a Victorian model of teaching in many respects. I mean, it has evolved somewhat since then, but it is quite restricted. They would actually be riotous in school and typically they would what they call internal truant they would sign on the register and then bunk off and they were the kids who were basically stealing all our cars you know (laughs) and contributing to the the crime because if you're bored and you know you got no hope you get into trouble don't you so we did this program and we said to the teachers send us the kids to us and we will help them And we will create a different way of teaching. So we did indoor and outward learning, life skills and community skills and 
job interview techniques and getting up in the morning and hygiene and, you know, we did it all. 2,000 kids went through the program. The crime rate went down. These kids went into the workplace. But not only that, it was so successful that Sarah was invited to speak at events all over the country. Chelsea Football Ground. You know, I mean, great, great events telling what the church can do. And in the course of time, it was mentioned in the Welsh Assembly. We got mentioned in House of Lords. There was BBC, did programs about us, etc., etc., etc. And it was so successful that the education curriculum was changed so that Needs Develop, which was an alternative education for kids who don't do school. That project changed the education system so we don't have to do it anymore. Because every... Every child in our nation now has the opportunity for an education that is fit for purpose for them. That's how it started. But it didn't start there. It started with £35 and five young people, who, and that was it. And then because of that, churches right across our nation got involved in community work. And then the Welsh government caught on to what was happening and asked us to do a survey to see actually what the churches were doing. And it turned out that over £300 million worth of economic value were given to Wales communities every year through the churches volunteering. 80,000 volunteers a week. No, sorry, 80,000 volunteer hours, 40,000 volunteers serving Welsh communities. 300 million pounds worth of work the churches were contributing. And it changed everything. Up to that point, I would meet with government ministers, I would meet with people from the um, third sector and ask, hey, can we have some money for the work that the churches are doing? No, we do not fund religion. We do not fund churches. No, 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 no. But all that changed this. And now churches can get funded freely. And we've got amazing churches now who in Carmarthen who have got a whole bowling alley and employing so many people and bringing in, a, you know, like an inflow of maybe a couple of million pounds a year. And it's all going then to community work from the church. They wouldn't have been able to get funding for that. 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's all changed. Why am I saying that? This is the yeast of God working in and through the local church. He works through you as an individual. He works through local churches. It all started with five, five kids and 35 pounds. And then New Wine Cymru serving over 700 leaders and mobilizing the mission that I talked about And over 5,000 people have responded to Christ in the last three years. Where did that start? Where did that start? It started with, oh my goodness, a few kids and a guitar, 35 pounds, no skills, nothing to offer. But God's seed and God's yeast And as you just let it ferment and brew and grow and feed and go, it grows and grows and grows. And the influence of the kingdom of God advances. And it all starts small in the world. Then there's the global thing. And I'll 
finish on this because this is where it gets really exciting. Did you know that before the days of Jesus, there was no value on compassion? No such value of compassion. Compassion was considered to be weakness. To show mercy was not a value. It's something that was despised. There was no charities before the time of Jesus. There was no thinking of others and the disadvantaged and the unfortunate and the powerless and the weak. It was all about me and my power. But then Christ comes along and says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, make yourself the servant of all. It is better to give than to receive. Love your neighbor. Bless your enemies. And he, he says to the man who was broken and sick and lying, said, your sins are forgiven. He looked at the crowds and it says, and he had, beautiful word, devalued at the time, despised. He had compassion on them and said to his disciples, feed them. What with? Bread, fish, it's just a seed, starting small, but feed the 5,000. No such thing as compassion before the time of Christ. But the yeast of the kingdom now, 2,000 years down the road, from that seed, the examples of Jesus, taken on board by the disciples, modeled through the church throughout the ages, we value compassion in our world today. Children had no values. They had no rights. Had no rights at all. The things that they did and treated children were terrible. But Jesus said, don't forbid the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. And if you don't humble yourself and become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He gave value to children. And that was just a seed. It was just a statement. It was just embracing a child for a moment. It was penned into scripture. Generations have read it. That seed has gone into the church, into the world. And now we value children. Women had no rights. Women had no legal standing. Their testimony was not allowed in court. They weren't allowed to speak to a man in public. They weren't allowed to read. They had no legal rights at all. And yet Jesus is seen speaking to the Samaritan woman on his own. They go, what are you doing, Jesus? You're speaking to a Samaritan woman and you're on your own. And he speaks to a woman. And their testimony was disallowed. There was... Don't believe anything a woman said. That was the culture. That was the belief. And then when Jesus was at the tomb where he rose again and he met Mary and all the disciples, the men, had scattered and run, he turned around to Mary and he says, Mary, (laughs) go and tell Peter I'm risen He put the gospel, the testimony that Jesus is alive, the world-changing, shattering event, into the mouth of a woman. The first preacher, the first teacher of the gospel was a woman. Go and tell Peter and the others, I'm alive. That seed has led to Women's rights are quality, and I want to say that we're still on a journey and we've got a long way to go. But it's a seed that is permeating our world globally. And where did it start? It started with Jesus. Democracy. 
Have I got enough time to show you a few things? Democracy. Where did democracy come from? See, up to that time, it was kings and tyrants and rulers and powerful military men that ruled. Democracy has come from this simple notion that we are all made in the image of God and we all have free will and we should all be able to choose who we submit to and who governs us. That's the founding principle of democracy. Where did that come from? It comes from Christianity. Up until that point, there was no such thing as democracy. What about law and order? Do we not value law and order? How come we have law and order and rules that govern us rather than the dictates and the whims of men? Let me tell you why. Because God in his wisdom gave his people a rule book. It's called the Ten Commandments back then in the Old Testament. And the principle is this, that we should be ruled and governed by something that is just and fair and objective, not something that is broken, falling, subjective, like a powerful individual, no matter how clever they are. The legislative and the judiciary and the law has come through the seed of Christianity and is now valued throughout the globe. Sunday school, education, Where did the education system come from that everybody should be able to have a good education? It's simple this, that the church began to have Sunday schools. And I'm not talking about what the kids are doing out there today. There were schools on Sunday where people who were illiterate were taught to read through the Bible. And that's where our education system came from. And then slavery. Because all are created in God's image Slavery was abolished through the teachings of Christ and the Christian movement. Hospitals came through the first monasteries because Jesus was a healer and had compassion. Human rights, working conditions, social prejudices, racial prejudices, gender prejudices, neither slave nor free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, we're all one in Christ. That was a seed, and it is now affected. We think these values and human rights and dignity and respect come from the EU. They don't. They're the benefactors of it. They come from Christ, the seed. And it's yeast that has permeated the whole globe. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is like a woman who sowed yeast. And it permeates the whole batch So when we're talking about the Easter Kingdom, we're not just talking about the size of the Christian movement. We're talking about the influence of the kingdom of God. And so as we unite as local church and sow together into our communities and into our world, the collective church around the world sow into each generation at a given moment in time, leaving a legacy and a deposit for the next generation to come. Then one day... Finishing now, just to give you hope. One day, <laughs> obviously I'm preaching too long. That laughter was very, uh, <laughs> one day, one day, I really am, I really am finishing. One day, one day Jesus, the king of the kingdom, will return. And he will finish off what he started and we've been collaborating with him to do. And he will harvest a kingdom crop 
And this yeast and this seed of the kingdom will not stop working. And it will not stop changing, advancing until God comes to bring his full rule to the earth when Christ returns. And this is what it says in the scriptures. The end will come when he, that's Jesus, will return and then he will hand the kingdom over to God the Father so that God who gave his son authority over all things will utterly be supreme over everything, listen to this, everything, everywhere. And it will literally be this, heaven on earth, the yeast of the kingdom permeating everything. Last verse, book of Revelation, chapter 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things will have been gone forever. For the yeast and the good rule of the kingdom of God will have filled everything. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you, by your spirit, will continually open our hearts to the seed of God, the word of God, and that we will be comfortable with the ways of God, that we will not be impatient, that we will not expect it to be like instant coffee, I want it all now, like a microwave meal, but we will allow the patient work of God to work in our lives and permeate our lives and our church and our communities, and we will work to see this kingdom yeast advance in our globe until you come. And we pray that through this talk this morning that you will give us a perspective that we may like in the parable of the sower, we may with patient endurance bear much fruit. Do this for us, Lord. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.